Let's take our Bibles, turn over the book of Joshua, Joshua chapter 1, Joshua chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. We're going to read through the first eight verses, and this is somewhat of a familiar passage, but uh, we'll see uh, what we can learn from it today. But Joshua chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, we understand and know that, of course, the children of Israel have been led out of the promised land and, or excuse me, uh, out of Egypt. And uh, of course, we know that Moses had um, led them and guided them. Uh, Unfortunately, they made a bad decision when it came time to occupy the promised land, the land that God had promised them, I should say. And uh, for 40 years, they wander in a wilderness. And for 40 years, they have to Prove that God can furnish a table there. God asked the question, can God furnish a table in the wilderness? Well, the children of Israel found out. And for 40 years they wandered, proving God and His ability to meet their need. And He did meet their need. Met their need by providing them with food and water and clothing. Of course, they didn't have an opportunity to go to the thrift store or even any store really, for about 40 years. They wore the same clothes that they had. They wore the same shoes that they had. They uh, found that their shoes never wore out, though. You buy, imagine buying a pair of shoes <clears throat> that would last for 40 years. Imagine that. Now, most of us wouldn't like that. In America, we don't like that. Matter of fact, we've been, uh, we're, we're to the point where now we want everything instant. We want everything a throwaway. I'd rather have, you know, six pairs of $5 shoes instead of one pair of $30 shoes. It just doesn't matter. I want them to last. I don't want them to last. I just want new stuff all the time. That's kind of how our culture seems to be. I like this suit jacket only for maybe the first six months or year, and then I just, I just feel like getting something different. I deserve it anyway, right? You, you know where I'm going with that. I mean, it was, we're Americans, right? We got all this money. Who cares, right? Spend it. You're going to die anyway, right? You might as well spend it while you got it, use it, throw it away, whatever you need to do. Oh, this isn't a message on money, so don't get nervous. <clears throat> so anyway, you know, we're kind of like, so, so they, but they had a 40-year pair of shoes. Now, I, I'll be honest with you. I like things to last, but I, I don't know that I would want to wear the same shoes for 40 years. I think I'd get tired too. You know, I mean, I, I want to, same pair of pants, the same shirt, the same, I, I don't know, 40 years, I don't know. I don't think they had washers and dryers like we do either. So, you know, things could have been pretty, uh, 40 years, I don't know. But either way, God provided for them and God met their needs, right? Okay, so 40 years. Now, at the end of those 40 years, they're getting ready to occupy the land again. And, uh, <clears throat> well, Moses, he's taken home. And that leaves Joshua. And so instead of Moses leading the children of Israel into the promised land, now we've got Joshua that's going to do it. To spend all those years dealing with the problems and working with the people. And I mean, he, I, I mean Moses, I mean, he probably could do this standing on his head by now. But now all of a sudden he's gone and Joshua has to step in and fill some pretty big shoes. Now, I get it, and I understand that Joshua had been following uh, uh, God, and he'd been following Moses for a long time. We get the impression, according to the book of Exodus, that when Moses goes into the temple, 
uh, or into the tabernacle, you know, to pray basically, Joshua sticks around and meets with God because he recognizes and realizes he needs the Lord. But now here he is, he's in charge. He's the man. He's the one that has to lead the children of Israel into the promised land. And can I tell you, there's a good possibility there may have been a little insecurity there. I I don't know. I don't know if he stepped in and just said, you know what? I can do this. It's no problem. Let's go forward. I don't think so because according to the the book of Joshua chapter 1, we're going to see that God has to offer him some encouragement. He's got to give him some confidence. And notice what he says here in chapter 1. Now, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spake unto Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' minister, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. I often wonder, why does God have to tell him that? Did you ever, I don't, that's just, I don't know. But anyway, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise. I, I got to believe there's something here about Joshua. I got to believe that Joshua is, is over there in the corner, sitting in a chair somewhere thinking, oh man, oh boy, does this mean I'm going to have to step up? And God says, hey, Moses, my servant, is dead. Therefore, you got to stand up. Therefore, it's time to get up. Moses, my servant, is dead. He says, now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, thou and all this people, unto the land I do give to them, even to the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon, that have I given unto you, as I said unto Moses, from the wilderness and this Lebanon, even unto the great river, the river Euphrates, All the land of the Hittites and under the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your coast. There shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. I will not fail thee nor forsake thee. Uh, This sounds like a pretty major pep talk. I mean, this is a locker room talk. We're getting him ready for a battle. We're getting him ready to take the land and to lead the people. You know, I I get a little nervous when I hear about people who are so anxious to jump into leadership. When people are all like, yeah, I got this. Well, maybe you shouldn't. Maybe you ought to sit down and let somebody that doesn't feel so capable and qualified to do it. Because, you know, it makes me a little nervous if, if God don't have to come along and say, listen, I'll be with you. Hey, listen, don't worry about it. I got this. You, you don't have to worry about it. I got this. You just be obedient. I got this. But when somebody says, I got this, I wonder maybe if they don't really got it or they don't have him. <clears throat> now, I'm not opposed to some confidence. The question is, what's the confidence in? Or who's it in? That's the big issue. Listen, if God's given you a, a ministry, you're teaching a Sunday school class, you shouldn't go in there every day going, oh, I'm scared to death these kids. I mean, to tell you, they're going to run the show. I don't have a thing to tell them. 
Man, if you got to the point where you're standing in front of him, you don't have nothing to tell him. He should have got with the Lord a long time ago. And you know what? There ought to get to the point where you finally say, this is my class. God's given me this class. This is the position God's given me. I can do this with God's help. Now there's the confidence you like. That's what you want. I remember years ago when I took over my first choir, <clears throat> I had uh, uh, went to work uh, at a church, not on staff, but I was just volunteering. But I went over actually to take over and work with the teenagers, uh, just to encourage all you youth workers, uh, we had to have an activity every week. That's what the pastor wanted from us, and we weren't on the paid staff. Every week we had to have an activity. And I still drove the van to pick all the kids up at every activity. And uh, my wife and I would travel around, pick them all up, drop them all off, because a lot of the kids did not get have parents. We didn't have parents in our church, so we created our own youth group and had to pick everybody up, drop everybody off, we did that every week. We did it for all the services, and we did it for Sunday night and Wednesday night services. That was how it used to be in the day. And some of the parents there go, I sure wish they'd pick my kid up and drop him off every time. Well, these, these didn't have parents that went to church at all, okay? So that's a little different. If you want to drop out of church, we'll pick your kids up for you. Uh, but I don't think you want to do that. So anyway, uh, <clears throat> did I say that? But anyway... I, I, re- I remember, I did say that, didn't I? It must be the time change. It's, it's getting to me. No. So anyway. So, hey, by the way, I was falling asleep today uh, on, the way, uh, on the way to church. I was driving. And so when I stopped at a light, I fell asleep. And, and then I realized, oh, I better put it in park if I'm going to do that because that's not a good idea. Start to drift into the. But anyway, I only did it twice. So anyway, <clears throat> so, so nonetheless, I was still good. My wife kept going, hey, maybe I should be driving. I'm like, no, I got this. <laughs> what, what kind of confidence is that? You know what I mean? That's not the kind you want, right? So anyway, I got my, I, I'm at the first church, and, and we're doing the youth work and stuff. And then, and then I realized, man, they, they, they really need a choir director. The preacher was doing it. So anyway, uh, <clears throat> He, he really wasn't a choir director. He'd tell you that, too. He would have told you that. So anyway, he was more than happy to let me lead the, the choir. And he came to me one day, and he said, listen. He says, I know you can sing. I wondered, would you, like to, would you, would you be willing to lead the choir? And I said, well, I'll do whatever you want me to do, but I, I'm going to tell you right now, I've never led a choir. And the choir wasn't real big, okay? <clears throat> There's probably only about 18 or 20 people in the whole choir. 20 people, maybe. 20, 25 maybe max? 20 probably. 15? <laughs> I don't know. So anyway, <clears throat> there's probably 20, right? <clears throat> so anyway, I remember he say, I said, well, I can't. He said, but I got to warn you. I got to warn you. He goes, there's a couple ladies in the choir. They always like to try to get their way. I'm just going to warn you right now. Be ready. And I was like, yeah, I'm okay with that. That's fine. I got this. I said, I'm all right with that. So I went home, I prayed about it, and I started saying, Lord, you know what? <clears throat> I've, never, I've never done a choir before, but if this is a position, the pastor's asked me to do it. Obviously, the pastor believes I'm the man for the job, and you're putting me in that place because he's God's man, so therefore that means you want me there. And so as a result of that, I'm the man of God. I'm going to lead in the choir. I'm going to do the job. I wasn't on staff. I wasn't in the ministry or anything. But the fact was is that I knew I was the man of God at that point. I'm the man for the job. God put me there. I stood in front of the choir that first day, 
And I, I stood there with confidence. I'm going to be honest with you. I had confidence. You want to know why? Because, again, God put me there. Not, they didn't put me there. God put me there. Pastor didn't just put me there. God put me there. He used the pastor to put me there. And so I'm the man of God, and I'm standing in front of the choir, and I remember the first thing. I said, now listen. I said, I understand I'm extremely young, and I was then. And I said, and I'm extremely handsome, as you can tell. But anyway, I didn't say that. But, but I said, I'm extremely young. And I said, the truth is, is this. May I just be very transparent and honest with you? I said, there are some of you in this choir that know more music than I know. There are some of you that are more, uh, probably more qualified musically to even lead the choir. I get that. I said, but here's the only thing. I'm the choir director. God put me here. And the pastor put me here. So that means I'm the most qualified person in the entire church to run the choir. You hear what I just said? And that's how it went. Did I get a few of those little bumps in the road? Very few. I mean very few. And I handled it like, guess what? I was the, in charge. And you know what? We did perfectly fine. We all got along and everybody was happy. Now listen, I had confidence, but it wasn't in my ability. Trust me, there were people in that choir that knew more than I knew. I was confident in the position God placed me because I knew God put me there. Therefore, if I'm in charge of the choir, then I'm in charge of the choir and I'm the best man for the job at that point. If you're in charge of a Sunday school class and you've been put there, listen, you may not feel like you're all that, but you're the best man or woman for the job then. If, if the pastor or if the, the, the uh, head of the Sunday school saw, thought you should belong there and, and, and you are confident that God would have you take that step of faith, then let me tell you something. I can tell you this. God put you there. Take charge of that thing. Be the best teacher you can possibly be. And if somebody says, well, I, sir, there's a lot better teachers than you, you say, yeah, but I'm the one God put there, so therefore I'm the best teacher for that class. You got to understand, I mean, your confidence has to come from him. Here's Joshua. He's going to lead millions of people into the promised land after Moses, this great leader, has died. And the Lord tells him, he says, there there shall not any man, verse 5, be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. I will not fail thee nor forsake thee. What a great promise. Be strong and of a good courage, for unto this people shalt thou divide for an inheritance the land which I swear unto their fathers to give them. Only be thou strong and very courageous. Boy, he goes from being courageous, now you better be very courageous. That thou mayest observe to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded thee. Turn not from it to the right hand or to the left, that thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou goest. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. I want you to notice here, as we look through this final portion of the passage, there's some things that the Lord's expressing. He said, only be thou strong and very courageous. Why? That thou mayest observe 
to do according to all the law. It's going to take some courage. It's going to take some strength to be obedient to this book. It's not always easy to stay on the straight and the narrow way, but it is always the best way. He goes on, that thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou goest. Don't turn right or left. Don't get off course. Don't lose sight of the goal line. Stay focused and stay on the straight and narrow that thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou goest. See, the truth is, is that you end up going somewhere you really don't want to be if you go left or right. He goes on to say, This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. Why? Why? For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. There's a difference between success and good success. See, success, according to the passage as we look at it, he's used the word, he uses the phrase good success. Now, therefore, there has to be an unusual difference there. There has to be something unique about that phrase, good success versus regular success or just success. What I think it is is this. It's either the world's success or God's success. Anytime you have good success, it's God's success. Success without God is the greatest failure of all. Do you know, you know what the biggest problems we're finding in our country and in our culture is that people are so-called succeeding without God. It, it makes it very pitiful. You know, you have sports figures and you've got all these movie stars and you've got all these people making millions and millions of dollars, giving to charities and doing all kinds of good things, and yet they fail to receive and accept Christ and they fail to live a separated life unto Jesus Christ. They use the word God. They throw it around a little bit. Well, you know, thank God for this and thank God for that. You got these country singers especially that are nothing more than pop singers running around going, I just want to thank God for the opportunity to do this. And oh yeah, I'll I'll be at the party later. We'll get drunk together. But anyway, thank God for this award that I just got. There's something wrong with that kind of success, my friend. That's not good success. That's bad success. That's the kind of success that leads our young people down a road to destruction because somehow they buy into the idea that you can have both. You can have your cake and eat it too. My friend, you're either going to live for Jesus Christ and be consecrated and separated unto the Lord or you might as well go out and live your life for the devil because I'll tell you, if you tell yourself a Christian in front of your children and you live like the world, my friend, you are teaching them something worse than just being a drunkard. At least if you're a drunkard, they can understand the the consequences of sin, and they recognize how bad it is to live without Jesus Christ. But unfortunately today, we say we're Christians, and we live like the world, and they wonder what in the world's going on. Who needs Christ because the world's better than the Christians? It's a real mess. We may get to the message tonight, but it's a mess. This good success. And he says to Joshua, I want you to have some good success. I don't want you just to be succeeding. I want you to have God's success. Man, I'll tell you what. I don't, I, I, listen, I'd rather my children have nothing, two nickels to rub together and love Jesus Christ, hold on to their old King James Bible, continue to be faithful to God in his house, 
than to sit there and make millions of dollars a year, my friend. And I know that today that's not popular even among believers. We'd rather our children get good educations than show up in church. We'd rather them have sports, uh, some kind of you know, scholarships and miss their whole youth groups. We'd rather them just to go off into the world and be successful and have their degrees and have the fame and the fortune and people calling them doctors and lawyers and everything else. That's more important to us too many times than our own spiritual uh, status of our children. We don't care if they memorize scripture as long as they learn their ABCs. We don't care if they read their Bible as long as they read their geography books and they get good grades in school. That's what really matters today. What's wrong with that? I thought we were all going to die one day and stand before the Lord Jesus Christ. I thought we were all going to give an account for how we live our life after coming to Christ. I thought it was important to separate ourselves from the world and not be like the rest of the world and to be able to go out there and be a light shining in darkness. Whatever happened to raising a generation that says there's something more important than making money, there's something more important than having things, there's something more important than just simply becoming something you want to be. You need to be what God wants you to be. Joshua's there and he's like, man, you kidding me? I'm going to have to leave these people. And God says, you know what? I'll be with you. I'll be with you. I don't know about you, but I don't know if there's one thing in this world I want more than God with me. I probably told the story before, but <clears throat> I remember, um, I remember getting a little bit upset with some situations, and and I, I said some things, and I, I'm not talking about cussing and all, but I said some things that that because uh, some of you think that's what I mean when I say that, because maybe you do that, but I I, I don't do that. I, I haven't done that in a while, at least put it that way. But uh, you know what I mean. But anyway. So you got to be careful what you say because people take you where you, they live. You know what I mean? So I just wanted to clarify that. I wasn't cussing when I said, I said some bad things. Uh, but, but I did. I, I kind of lost my temper. I said some things to somebody. I addressed the situation, and I handled it, and I dealt with it. And I got convicted about some things. Not, not convicted that I handled it. Convicted that maybe I handled it the wrong way. I got a little bit too fired up about it. Got a little bit too intense with that situation. I mean, I... I wanted to go out and roll around, you know, fist fight and all that good stuff. And so I decided that wasn't right. The Holy Spirit convicted me. And I remember going to my children and sitting them down. And I remember talking to them for a few minutes saying, listen, Daddy, Daddy was wrong how he handled that situation. He, he wasn't wrong for addressing it. It needed to be handled. But I said some things I shouldn't have said. I handled it with the wrong spirit. And for that, I apologize. I, I asked the Lord to forgive me. And I'm coming to you guys, and I want you to know that I was wrong. I shouldn't have handled it that way. And I, I, I said, because here's the bottom line. I told him, more than anything else in this world, more than anything else in this world, I want the hand of God on my shoulder. I want the hand of God on my shoulder. More than I want my pride, more than I want my way, I want his hand on my shoulder. That's what I want. And I'm going to tell you something. That's what I want for my children too. I want God's hand on their shoulder. Man, I'll tell you what, no one and nothing can pick them up like Jesus Christ can. And you got a man right here, Joshua. I got to believe that as he's preparing to take these people into the land, oh yeah, he wishes he had a big army and, 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 and he wishes he could mobilize the people. But the truth is, is that they weren't any match for the people that were in that land. 
I mean, he wished he had a lot of other options. But when God gets to speaking to you and it's in private and he begins to reveal to you himself and he tells you that he'll be with you and he won't forsake you and that no one's going to be able to hurt you or harm you, let me tell you, you can believe that. And you can know that God's with you and you can stand before the greatest enemies and you know you're going to be victorious. Whether you go down in defeat or you stand in victory, you're still going to be victorious. When we started... This, uh, when, when the church was preparing for this process of this building and we, we bought the, the land, I, <clears throat> I remember before we ever bought it, pulling under the carport here, I heard that this property was available. We'd already been, uh, to the, uh, we'd already been uh, through a process that wasn't, wasn't working too good. Um, uh, well, actually, we, had, uh, we, we were in a situation where we needed more space. We didn't know what to do. Uh, we knew that we were going to have to spend millions of dollars to renovate that property if we were going to use it going into the future. And so we started looking for properties, and this one, I heard about it. So when I heard about it, I pulled up under the carport, and I knew immediately. Pulled up there, and within, I mean, within seconds probably, uh, the Lord, I, just in my heart, it wasn't like he audibly spoke to me, but I just said, Lord, it, and before I could even get out of my mouth, it was like, this is it. This is it. That was, how, that was how it was when I first started Community Baptist. I remember my wife saying, yeah, the senior center right down the street, they got this room down there, and uh, you, they wanna, you, you can go down there and check it out. And I said, yeah, right, one room ain't going to work for us. And so I went and looked at three other places. And finally I came home that day. I, said, I came home one day and I said, man, I've looked at all three of these places. I'm just not convinced any of them are really going to work. I don't get any peace about any of them. She said, oh, did you ever go down to that senior center down there? I said, it's one room. She goes, well, I guess it couldn't hurt. It was right down the street. I said, yeah, I guess it won't hurt. Walked right in the door and I went, this is it. I mean, I just knew. God just made it so clear to me. Well, I knew that about this building. But you know, the interesting thing about this building was we went through a mess, didn't we? I mean, at first we were going after it. We thought, well, we'll make an offer on the building. And we did. We offered $400,000 for this building. They turned it down. They came back. And this is the, the kicker. They said, well, $800,000 for everything. We could have got it cheaper then. We just didn't have any money. I thought, there's no way. We can't do that. Well, then they sent it to auction. So then we go to the auction. At that point, we had, had come up with a number, 460000 And then somebody came to me at the auction and said, preacher, if we can get this place, I'll give you $5,000. So I said, well, it's 465000 now. We bid. And of course, Dadado. Electric was bidding against us. Oh, they sold the Dado business, uh, the Dado Electric, not long after that for $100 million. So we really didn't have a chance, as you can tell. He ended up winning it for $465,000. No, four hundred seventy, Because our last bid was four sixty-five, And he said four seventy, and I had to go, eh, we're out. Lord, if you want it, you have to give it to us for four seventy, four sixty-five. It wasn't happening. So we left that day. You say, were you discouraged? I wasn't discouraged, but I was like, well, the Lord obviously has other plans. <clears throat> but I said, I just know in my heart, this is it, though. I don't understand 100% what's going on. <clears throat> so we went back to the drawing board. I started thinking a little bit. Took, kind of took a break from looking for properties and all that mess. And I said, Lord, what are we going to do? So I sent one of the men over to talk to Dadato, set up a meeting, and I came here and talked to him, and within 10 minutes, we'd bought the property Amen. for twice as much. But anyway, 
That's how it works in business. It takes money to make money. But at this point, we were in a different position. Time had gone. We was in a place where we could work on some things, blah, 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 blah. We ended up getting the buildings for, what, 880, uh, I think it was, 870. Now, <clears throat> I still remember purchasing the buildings. And I remember going to the Lord and saying, well, Lord, you're going to have to do a miracle. You got to get this handled. And I'd say, and I know, Lord, that you don't want us to fail. You wouldn't have given us this building if you wanted us to fail. But then I thought, that's really not for me to decide, is it? There was a part of me that wanted to believe with all my heart that there was no way that we would ever fail. But there was also a part of me that said, that's God's business. If he wants to make me look little, if he wants to wreck and ruin my reputation, if he wants to destroy me in order to lift himself up, that's his prerogative. Boy, that's something about that. Just, I got to the place where I finally said, you know what, Lord, it's really not up to me to make it work then. It's really up to you. Now, I'll do everything I can But in the end, you're allowed to do with me as you please. You're allowed to do with our church as you please. If you want us back in a little building that we're renting somewhere and we fall on our face financially, that's your business. I wasn't going to work like that. I wasn't going to live like that. I wasn't going to worry about that. And I didn't. People used to say to me, preacher, uh, boy, that's a big, big uh, undertaking. And uh, do you sleep at night? And I, absolutely, I sleep at night. Sleep great. I slept a lot better than I do now sometimes. (laughs) I'm getting older, you know, you don't sleep as good. But anyway, plus that aged me some, I think. But anyway, the fact is, is that I just said, well, it's up to the Lord what he does. Now, there comes a point in our lives we just have to trust him. And you know what? There was a point in the process where I just felt like we are not going down. God is going to take good care of us. I can just tell. He's, he's making everything work fine. It took us some time, but it got done. And you know what? Joshua, he's on the verge now of taking the children of Israel into the promised land. And the Lord now is making some promises to him. There's a part of me. I knew the Lord would be with us. But I didn't have the confidence that everything would be perfectly fine. He never told me that. He just said, trust me and follow me. Now, you never knew that. I would have never told you that. We're going to do this. And we did, didn't we? But if anybody's going to take the hit on this one, I would have. I didn't want you to feel it. This wasn't your place. That's my job to take that. And you know what? The Lord laid it on me, and I think the Lord just wanted to see, are you willing Are you willing to do or be whatever I want you to do or ever I want you to be? Boy, I'll tell you what, I'm glad that he chose to let us stand here today and preach to this crowd. I'm glad that this building got completed. I'm thankful for that. And I give God all the glory because truthfully, I know I would never could have done it, nor could any of us on our own. We just couldn't have done it. And you know, Joshua has to come to that conclusion now. He understands it's all God. 
It's got to be all God. And God's telling him. He's saying, listen, I'm going to give you good success, but hold on. Notice this. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, he says. But thou shalt meditate therein day and night that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then. Wait a second. You mean this promise was conditional? Why the then? Can I tell you that almost every promise of God is conditional? You know what it's conditioned on? Our obedience. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night. That thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous. And then thou shalt have good success. Can I tell you why I believe God allowed us to have victory here? Because we were obedient. What if we would have, what if we'd have taken our King James Bibles and chucked them? What if we'd have said, you know what? The standards we've had in our music, we don't care anymore. We're just going to go ahead and just, we're going to go with the flow. We're going to just chuck those things. We're going to get rid of the old landmarks. We're going to bypass the old ways. I don't know that we're guaranteed we'd be here today. And what if we'd have said, we're just going to throw soul winning out the door. That's all archaic. That's old news. I'm not convinced we'd be here today. I believe that God wanted us to take this old Bible and he wanted us to hold it close to us and he wanted us to consider it dear and near to our hearts. I believe that when he, he came to us, he's saying, listen, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to give you the ability. I'm going to give you everything you need, but you better meditate on this book. You better obey this book. Then thou shalt have. How many times have we said, I want the result without the obedience? Isn't it funny how your children sometimes, if they're not careful, want you still to treat them like they're obedient, even when they're disobedient? Remember that child that goes out maybe uh, to their friend's house and they're told to be back at home at a certain time? They come in late and you say, you're grounded. You're not going back over to your friend's house. Or you're not permitted to do this, what you were planning on doing later in the week, because you didn't do what I told you to do. You weren't obedient to my command. And they say, what? No, come on, just forget it this time. I'll never do it again don't happen does it you stick to your guns there's a consequence and a price to pay but you know what they don't want to pay the price they want to play the game they just don't want to pay the price we need to be careful that we don't get that way with our heavenly father where we're willing to step out on our own and do our own thing we get to the place where we're saying, well, the Word of God's important to me and, and, and Scripture's important to me and living the Christian life's important to me, but I still want to be able to do this and go here and do that. And we basically put ourselves in a position where we're climbing over by the cliff and we're almost ready to take that next step. We take that step and we expect God to put a safety net down there. You know, the trapeze, they, they swing to, you know, uh, through the air with the greatest of ease. 
And they come down, and where do they fall into? A trapeze net or a net. It catches them. It protects them. Now listen, I'll be honest with you. How many times have we all fallen and God's caught us? But can I tell you this? It still can be pretty, pretty hard on us. It can jolt us pretty good. Get a joint out of place here and there. Sore back, sore neck. You know what? In our Christian lives, we expect God to grant us our prayers and we expect God to meet our needs and we want God to give us the blessings that he's promised even when we're disobedient sometimes. And so let's be careful with that. Let's not allow ourselves to somehow believe that God is any different than any parent. Joshua, he's prepared now. He's ready to go into the land. Why? Because the Lord has spoken to him. He has God's word on it. Boy, we need God's word on things. Thy word is true from the beginning, he says. And a wonderful truth. You know, it's an interesting thing that when the Bible talks about a foundation, it's talking about Jesus Christ, right? But you can't talk about Jesus Christ without talking about the Word of God, though. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. He goes on to say in verse 14, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld His glory as the, as the glory of the only begotten of the Father. So as he's talking about building our lives, when he says, when he says except uh, if, if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? Well, if we start taking the Bible and we not just change it, as we're seeing it change through the years, but if we take it and we corrupt it by not obeying it as it's written, if we rewrite it in our minds, if we somehow um, create in our own mind a set of standards based on the book as we see it, not as God says it, then we, in essence, are changing the Bible. We're changing the foundation now. And that foundation turns to sinking sand instead of a firm foundation. Because the firm foundation is truth in Christ. It's His truth that is firm. It's His truth that is strong, not our truth. And I want to encourage you to take this book, the Word of God, and to start reading it regularly. I mean, you want good success? What's he say to Joshua? He says, this book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth. You want to know what that means, really? Can I tell you what that simply means? Love this book. Amen. You say, what's that mean? Uh, th- this book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth. Well, I guess you're always saying it. You're speaking it. You're sharing it, right? It's always on your lips. Can I ask you something? How many of those copies of the, of the Word of God do you think that were passed around in, in the... Uh, uh, in, in, in amongst the, the Jews there uh, in the wilderness. How many, how many, did they all have their own copy and fold it up and start reading it and then roll it back up and stick it in their pocket and carry it to work? How many do you think had, how many do you think, how many of you think that every single member of the, uh, of the Jewish race at that point, all those millions of people all had their own, uh, you know, lamb skin or, or skin copy of the Bible that they kept at home? I don't. There was one in the Ark of the Covenant. Those tables of stone, they were there. I don't think there were a whole bunch of copies running around. So how in the world 
Let me ask you, how could they, how could this book of the law not depart out of their mouth then? They must be memorizing it. They must be memorizing the scriptures. Listen, I don't mean to embarrass anybody, and I'm not going to try to do that, but I'm going to tell you something that happened to me this morning in my class. I think it's a reflection of our church as a whole. And I think we need to be very careful here. Out of 12 students in my class, when I asked who was going to learn the memory verse for next week, three raised their hands. We're talking about singles that have no families. Well, hold on now. Some of them are your kids. My question is, are you memorizing the scriptures? Because obviously they're not. What is wrong with us to claim we love this book and we're going to live by this book, but we won't take time to learn a, a line and a half of, of verses over the course of a week? And I even offered a prize next Sunday. Three people out of 12. In the, well, make that three out of 11, because I was one of the 12. By the way, a lot of my workers, I got to admit now, a lot of our workers are up teaching classes and stuff, so in my singles class, I get that. But still, out of the ones that were there, my friends, let me ask you, what is wrong with that? That's, a, that's terrible. Amen. That, that discouraged me in my heart. That, and I say discouraged, I hate to use the word discouraged, but it, it, I was distressed. I was burdened by that. This book of the law shall not depart out of the mouth. We're supposed to love this book. It should be on our lips. It should be something we're talking about, something we're sharing, something that we can't help but refer to, something that we use to defend our faith on a regular basis, something that we even, to our friends and family, hey, I got this problem. Oh, here's a verse. What's happening to us? We wonder why we're not experiencing God's success in our lives. Could it be that this book of the law has departed out of our mouth? He says, don't let it depart. Do we love the word of God? You know what? When I met my wife, I couldn't stop talking about her. I met my wife, and before it was over, she wasn't my wife then, of course, but I met her as a girlfriend, right? And I began to get to know her, and boy, I started, I fell for her real quick. Two months later, I'm asking her to marry me. I knew this is it. Then, then there came a point where we broke up because we didn't think that was going to happen. And there's no reason to date someone if you're not going to marry them. No reason to go out with them if you're not going to marry them. You say, that's crazy. What's crazy about it? You know where that stuff leads. You better get it straight. Better do it right. Better do it God's way. So... We parted, but we got back together. But I'm going to tell you something. Everywhere I went, oh, yeah, my girlfriend, Sherry, yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah, she's, she's hot. Oh, yeah. You, you, yeah, she, and not only that, she's, she's nice. And, man, you know what? Uh, she, she even cooks. <laughs> I said, oh, wow. I mean, she's, got, she's the whole package, man. I mean, I got, I got, I mean, I'm talking about, you know, oh, yeah, she's got sisters. But I got the pick of the litter, baby. I mean, that was my, I, that's how I felt. I was loving with her, man. You know, I loved her. I talked about her all the time. Her name and her, her she was on my lips. Not, not like on my lips, but you know what I mean. <laughs> on, on my lips. You know what I mean? I was talking about her. You know what I mean? This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth. 
man, how much of the Word of God? How, it, is it, you love it, and if you love it, you're, you know, it, it just kind of it, it oozes out of you. You can't hold her back. Not only that, but it also means to learn this book. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth. Love this book. But thou shalt meditate therein day and night. You want good success. Not only do you have to love this book, but you have to meditate on it, which means to learn it. How much of the Bible have you learned lately? I said, I'm not trying to pick on you, and I'm not trying to be mean. I'm just asking a question because in the end, let me tell you something. What you love, your children will learn to love. And what you learn, your children will automatically learn. Because you're going to be talking about it and it's going to be important to you. And they're going to see you studying and reading and praying and doing all the things that need. And they're going to say, now that's what I'm supposed to do then because I want to be like mom. I want to be like dad. We talk about positive influences. Boy, no, a parent can be a tremendous positive influence. Learn this book. My dad loved football growing up. I, I grew up, he loved football. Baseball. He would coach. He even coached football. And you know what he did? It's interesting. Here's what he did. He made me the water boy on the football team. And I got to hang out with the players the whole time. I got to get to know some of the players. I got to run water out to them. It was an honor to do that. I'm the water boy. I got to stand on the sideline. I loved it. Because my dad was passionate and he loved Football, I learned to love football. That's why we had to hurry. <laughs> I learned to love it. How much do we love the Word? And how often are we spending time to learn it? What are we passing down to our children? If we want good success, God's success, then we have to love this book. we got to learn this book. Study to shew thyself approved unto God. Not for the pastor, not for your, your wife or husband even, but for God. Not even for you. I'm so tired of everything's about you. You need to get cleaned up from drugs for you. Not for anyone else. You need to do it for you. <clears throat> You get off of alcohol, not for your, your, just your family. and not, You need to do it for you. No, you need to do it for him. He's the one that deserves your best. People are like, the problem is they just have low self-esteem. They don't like themselves. If they didn't like themselves, they'd just end it. They'd keep drinking and run themselves in the ground to the point where you didn't even know who they were immediately because they would have no care what's, what good or bad about them. They would know I just deserve to be nothing and I might as well live in a gutter anyway. That's what I deserve. I'm a nobody. I'm a zero. But most of the time, you know what they do? They go and steal money so they can get more of their booze and alcohol because it's all about them still. They love themselves. Mankind always loves itself. Loves itself so much it'll make itself miserable because it wants something that's bad for it. Just like some of these young men love girls that they shouldn't love and it's bad for them. Just like some of you young girls will mess with a guy that you shouldn't mess with even though he's bad for you. But I don't, she don't love herself. She loves herself too much because it's all about her still. I'm not trying to be mean. I'm just saying we don't think about things from a biblical perspective often enough. And you know what? You better learn this book. 
You got little grandchildren, you got kids running around, you better realize they're catching it more than they're hearing it. It's hard enough to keep a kid right with God in the world we live in. It's already a battle. Don't give them more fodder. Don't, Don't make it easier. Don't confirm what they're seeing in the world. Not only that, but you better, one more thing, he says, if you want good success, love this book, learn this book, and finally, he says, live this book. He says, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that's written therein. Observe. Now, that means then that you can claim to love the book. You can even be learning the book. You could be going to Bible college today and still not experience good success if you're not living it. How much of what we do is wasted time? How much of what we do does not feed our spirit? Let's be honest. We feed our flesh a lot in America. Tonight, let me tell you what. If you watch that stinking halftime show, my friend, don't tell me you love the Word of God and that you're obeying it. Not tonight you're not loving and obeying it if you're watching that, that filth. You don't run around watching naked women run around on a stage and tell me that that doesn't do anything to you as a man. Gentlemen, don't even go there. I can handle it. You can't handle squat. You're a human being. Says, well, why are you talking like that? Because I want you to understand, you may, be able to, you may be able to tell your wife that, and if she's ignorant enough to believe it, so be it. But the fact is, is that if you've got any testosterone flowing through your body, you can't do that and not violate a scriptural principle. Now listen, you've got to be careful with these things. We need to obey this book. Not just talk about it, not just even learn it. We need to obey it. We need to live it. And then we'll have good success. What do you want for your life? Worldly success or God's success? Which is it that you want? Now listen, that decision determines which path you travel. It's up to you, okay? That's your decision. But your decision will determine the outcome. It'll determine the outcome. As I close, let me just read this. In George Foreman's book, God in My Corner, the former heavyweight boxing champ writes this. He says, in 1974, before I went to Africa to fight Muhammad Ali, he says, a friend gave me a Bible to take along on my trip. He said, George, keep this with you for good luck. He said, I believe the Bible was just a shepherd's handbook probably because the only verse I knew was the Lord is my shepherd. But I was always looking for luck. So I carried that Bible with me. I had lucky pennies and good luck charms, so now I added the lucky Bible to my collection of superstitious items. After I lost the fight, I threw the Bible away. I never even opened it. I thought... The Bible didn't help me win, so why do I need it? I thought I'd get power simply by owning it. I didn't realize that I needed to read it and believe what it says. Since then, I've come to an understanding that my Bible is my roadmap, not my good luck charm.
Isn't that good? George Foreman. I, I've come to an understanding. My Bible is, it's, it, the Bible's my road map. It's not my good luck charm. Can I ask you something? Is the Bible your road map? Or is it your good luck charm? Is the Bible only good when you need it? When it's time you need some luck in your life? You need something to turn out good for you and your family? Now let's open it. Let's find a promise. Let's claim a promise. Or is this, as George Foreman says, your roadmap now? You literally let it outline your life. You're allowing it to affect your daily walk. Or is it simply a good luck charm? This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth. Can I say this? And I don't say this in any way to, 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 to start a whole other section on this because we're done. But I'm talking about a King James Bible here. Take your King James Bible and make it your roadmap. Hold on to it. Keep it close to your heart. Love it. Learn it. Live it. And then thou shalt... Then... Then thou shalt have good success.